This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. This program is intended for mature audiences only. Welcome to Just for Women, Dating, Relationships, and Sex. I'm your host, Elisa Kreitman. This show is dedicated to providing today's modern women with useful information they need to make empowered, conscious choices. Today in the show, we're going to talk about sexual health. I've been getting emails from listeners with important questions about sexual health, so I wanted to speak to an expert who's deeply well-versed in not only the kind of the physical aspects of sexual health, but also the emotional aspects as well. Our guest today is Dr. Shandor Gardos. He's the CEO and staff sexologist of MyPleasure.com. Shandor, welcome to Just Fair Women. Hello. You know, I know you've been on many other of the personal life media programs, uh, so I wanted to just say, yay, thank you for being on Just Fair Women as well. Oh, my pleasure. So, for listeners, I just want to tell you a little bit about Shandor. He is a licensed clinical psychologist and sex therapist, as well as board-certified sexologist. And we're going to talk about what a sexologist is in a second here. (laughs) (laughs) And you're also a former fellow of the College of Physicians and Surgeons at Columbia University. Mm -hmm. So that's where you get all this deep deep ingrained wisdom about (laughs) humanity, sexuality, and behavior, yeah? (laughs) That was part of it. (laughs) And then you've also been uh, quite a, what's that word, ubiquitous? (laughs) 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 Writer for many online sources, MSN, Excite, Match.com, AOL, Yahoo, so. You're dating me by saying Excite, but yes. (laughs) I know, huh? <laughs> well, that just shows you're you're deeply enriched in this, uh, in your field. I, I've so. been doing I've been doing it for a while. Yes. Uh, what's your so tell us what's a uh, sexologist? You know, uh, honestly, that that's not the the main term I use for myself. That's a bit of a vague term. Um, it really just means somebody who studies sex, but it's not a very well controlled title honestly, which is why I generally use the term sex therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more sexologists than there are sex therapists. Okay, so the difference between a sexologist and a sex therapist is what? So a sex therapist actually has credentials and training and licensure or certification in how to do therapy and then is has additional advanced training in a sexual issues and how to apply those in a clinical setting. A sexologist doesn't necessarily have any training in how to work with people. Got it. So basically the study of sex, which could mean anything. Right. And the therapy, the more um, bored kind of (laughs) people checking up on you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, especially with sex. Okay, good. So even better. And so... (laughs) Yeah, because I'm sure you probably have a lot to share about the kinds of issues. What is the most prevalent issue that comes up with people in your experience in sex therapy? Oh, I think every sex therapist nowadays would tell you the same thing. It's what we call desire discrepancies. Basically, couples where one partner wants more, less, faster, different, 
different whatever where basically what they want or how often they want it just isn't matched up and they can't come to a resolution that is by far the number one thing that sex therapists are seeing across the country huh and so what do you offer does that mean divorce does that mean shows over and and what are some of the blocks that have people just not be able to match up Mm-hmm. So I think there's the, the reason I think it's the number one thing that sex therapists are seeing is because it is such a complex issue there. It, it's not that there is one or two things that cause that there's so there's a huge number of things that can go into that that have to do with you as an individual, with the dynamics of the relationship, life changes. Um, and it's not easy stuff to work with. If it was easy, I don't think most people would seek out a sex therapist. Um, I, I, in many ways, the reason it's become the most common is because, um, is because of the success of a lot of the self-help that's been out there that, um, if you look back 30 years ago, the most common things that sex therapists were seeing were things like erectile dysfunction and, and orgasm issues. And not that we don't still see that, but Nowadays, we're not the first choice. Most people will watch an episode on Oprah first or get a vibrator or buy a book. But when you have an ongoing, deeply entrenched issue with your partner that you can't resolve, that's when you really realize that, God, I really should seek out a professional here. Interesting. Well, it shows uh, gladly, I think, that people actually are more willing, you think, to actually dive in and look at what might be going on with them emotionally, physically, mentally, with regard to sexuality, um, instead of maybe just going for, all right, forget it, this isn't going to work, or mm -hmm. trying something a little less invasive or, you know, right. discovering. You know, I think most people would like to think there's a simple solution. Um, I think um, it's very common to get people who say, can't you just give me a pill for this? Um, and, and I think it's also why we're seeing the huge success of things like Viagra. Um, it isn't actually appropriate for a lot of the people who are taking it, but it just is a simple, simple quote-unquote solution, sometimes to a very complex issue. And Viagra is really helping a man have an erection for an extended period of time. Is that one of the things that is problematic in what you're finding? You know, Viagra doesn't necessarily make a man have be able to have an erection for an extended period of time. What it's really doing, it, it can have that effect, but what it's really doing is it's lowering the threshold for what it, how much stimulation is required, whether that's emotional, psychological, physical stimulation, how much stimulation is required for a man to achieve a erection. Oh, wow. Who knew? <laughs> I mean, there, it is it is used as more in a recreational way by some guys to try to maintain an erection longer. Some guys also find that they can maintain an erection even after an orgasm when they're on Viagra. But that's not that's sort of a side effect. It's really not what it was designed to do, and it's not its primary method. Interesting. So it's like we don't have to get the jaw numbing. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm just thinking of like fellatio you know and mm -hmm. so that what you're saying is viagra kind of cuts down that time but yeah i could see where it's it, it would get into a complex issue because then there's the whole idea of like going slow and building up mm -hmm. and you know having a natural uh intense experience in your body with erection and orgasm and mm -hmm. yeah it's like viagra kind of cuts that whole process in half 
Right. And and you just spoke of you just brought up two very particular issues. One is one of the reasons that I'm seeing so many people with desire discrepancies is because of Viagra, that you'll get couples who haven't had intercourse in 10, 20, sometimes 30 years. The guy's now gotten a, pre- a prescription for Viagra and he's like, hey, honey, I'm ready to go. Well, you know what? If you haven't had sex in 30 years, there's gonna, there's there's a whole system that's built up around that. You can't just start up right away. It's not going to go smoothly. Um, and the other thing that you just mentioned, I think, is a very good point, is that most men, and I think even women, don't realize that in a, in a sexual encounter, when it's not without Viagra, there's a sort of an ebb and flow of arousal and energy and erection, that penises actually aren't designed to stay rock hard for hours at a time. They're designed to go kind of up and down, get a little harder, a little softer. And, you know, I think by watching porn films, people think that's not the way penises work. And men think there's something wrong with them. And women start to think there's something wrong with their partner or something wrong with them, that they're not arousing their partner enough if they don't maintain this rock hard erection for an hour. And that's actually not how penises work. I really appreciate that. It sounds as though there's a huge re-education about sex and sexuality that needs to happen. And I think, you know, with shows like mine and The New Man and other shows like that, we can start to learn that, yeah, what we learn from pornography isn't definitely it. And there's a whole dance that goes on. And there's nothing wrong if a man goes a little soft. Right. I mean, so much of, of what I do, I and mean, I think what all sex therapists and sex educators even do, is is normalizing, is telling people that what they uh, what they're experiencing is absolutely normal, that there is nothing wrong with them. That that's about half the battle when it comes to people's sexual issues. What are some of the other big things that people are confused about? Because I think that's a that's a good one. You know, a penis isn't supposed to stay rock hard the entire time, and there's nothing wrong. If that does ebb and flow, what are what are some other um, myths that you want to dispel? Hmm. Great question. Um, I mean, there's so many, uh, so, uh, but let me let me go with one that's been on my mind a lot lately, and I think it's been on the mind of a lot of sex therapists lately, which is that so much of our understanding of sexuality is still based on a male model, um, and that female arousal, female desire is different than male desire. Um, And so when you hear all these things about, uh, it's very trendy right now to talk about hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Basically, uh, women who aren't uh, aroused enough, if you will, quote unquote, that it's really looking at a male model. And that when we're looking at the research more closely in the last few years, that a lot of the things that we're saying as diagnosis, like for instance, if you look at the, you're familiar with the DSM, which is the manual psychiatrists and psychologists use to figure out what's wrong with you, basically, right. <laughs> that um, the definition for arousal disorder is, is assuming you're a man, basically, that mm. women's arousal is different, that one of the main criteria is lack of spontaneous sexual fantasies. The reality is that there's a lot of women who are perfectly fine sexually who don't have spontaneous sexual fantasies. What we're learning a lot is that a lot of women's arousal and desire is responsive, unlike for a lot of men. Men sit around, they're doing something else, they're not thinking about sex, and suddenly 
a sexual fantasy comes into their mind. That happens several times a day for most men. For a lot of women, that's not what their pattern's like. That they enjoy sex, they're responsive when it's initi- when someone else initiates it, they can really get into it, but they're not sitting around knitting and then suddenly they have this overwhelming sexual fantasy. <laughs> um, and we're learning that that's, and, and I think a lot of women and a lot of men think there's something wrong with the woman if she's not constantly horny and not constantly initiating out of the blue. And really, I think that's the norm. And I think we're imposing a male view of sexuality on women. And I think that's been very destructive. Whew, I just I just hear this big, like, across the planet, deep sigh and deep breath, like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for giving us some slack here. Yeah, I was just talking a few months ago to um, a wonderful therapist in Canada where and she went into a a female desire clinic where there was all these women who had you know basically decided and then been diagnosed with sexual desire disorders and were in this clinic and they were going weekly for treatment and everything else she re analyzed the, this entire group and found that 75% of them actually there was nothing wrong with them mm. they just thought there was something wrong or their partner thought there was something wrong with them wow That's intense to hear, you know, that here you are living your life, you're a perfectly normal functioning female based Mm -hmm. based on a male model saying there's something wrong with you. God, like you'd need therapy just for that. (laughs) Just to get past that part, yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, thank goodness for her. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like what's happening, thankfully. And you know what's funny? I, I didn't even know that we were going to talk about this. I want to talk <laughs> about herpes because I got an You're email. Talking about herpes too. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're such a font of amazing, valuable information that um, you know, just kind of going off the cuff here and hearing what are some of the the big myths that are going on. We're starting to get more and more pieces of ourselves like, yeah, ladies, there's nothing wrong with us. We're, we're not men. And these models have been designed around men. It's such a great perspective to remember and to have and that our orgasm is different. Mm-hmm. Everything about us is different. Yep. Wow. So, I, you know, I, I'm really and I'm glad you're saying that, too, because I think that if there was a period of time where we really wanted to, for I think for social and political reasons, really, really wanted to believe that men and women were the same. And I think there's a big difference between being equal and being the same. And I think we're finally getting more comfortable with the fact that men and women can be equal without being identical. Exactly. Equal rights doesn't mean like same parts, you know, right. and hormones and all of those things. Yeah. God, it's so refreshing. And mm. and and I hope all women hear this as, you know, a breath of fresh air. If you think there's something wrong with you, most likely there's not. <laughs> You know, you're probably fine and you're just a woman who's been really socialized to like try and fit into a man's world and it's, oh God, thank you for saying that. (laughs) Well, you know, let's take a little break and uh, come back and then we'll get to that uh, question about herpes, which I think, I mean, I don't have the answers to what this woman was asking, so I know you do. So let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about herpes. I'm Elisa Kreitman, your host of Just For Women, Dating, Relationships, and Sex. I'm speaking with Dr. Shandor Gardos about sexual health, and we'll be right back. 
Listeners, if you want some great discounts on things that will enhance your life, please listen to the ads coming up. They're ads created by my sponsors for Just For Women, and they help me bring these great experts like Dr. Shandor Gardos to you. So if you can support them, I'd really appreciate it. I'm Elisa Kreitman. You're listening to Just For Women, Dating, Relationships, and Sex. We're speaking today with Dr. Shandor Gardos. Uh, you know, Gardos, is that a Spanish name? No, it's Hungarian. Hungarian. That's wild. That's that's hence the uh, Shandor, which is the very common name in Hungary, but not so much here. Oh my God, that's so funny. Thank you for saying that. I wanted to ask you about that for the longest time. (laughs) (laughs) I I know everyone assumes I made it up or it was like a spiritual name or something. No, it's actually one of the most common names in Hungary. (laughs) You're like Bob or something. (laughs) Yeah, when I travel there, it's hysterical because here, if somebody says, hey, Shandor, I know they're, they're calling out to me. In Hungary, you're on a bus and there's invariably someone going, hey, Shandor, and it's not you. So <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, let's jump in with this question um, from one of my listeners. You know, this question is really in two parts. It, it's about the physical aspects of herpes as well as the psychological and emotional parts of it as well. And so she writes, she's been told by a doctor that one cannot pass... Uh, herpes to their partner unless they are having an active outbreak and then she's also been told one can pass it to their partner if they are asymptomatic shedding the virus Uh, so let's just start there she's got a lot in here Mm -hmm. so let's start with what um, as far as when can you pass and it, you know, I, could, I, I really feel for her and her confusion about like, well, wait a minute, one, one doctor's telling me this, one doctor's telling me that, what's the right answer? And even if you do research, you'll, you'll quickly find a bunch of contradictory information. Um, I think the safest way, the way to answer this is that even, first of all, shed, let's talk about what, what is viral shedding. So there's a period of time after you become infected herpes stays in your system. You can be in an active outbreak, but even when you're not in an active outbreak, there are periods of time called viral shedding. This is the period of time when the virus is actively multiplying. Um, it, you, it may not be going breaking through the skin into a sore, but you are very, but the, the, the viral load is very high. During this time, you are absolutely infectious. You are also obviously absolutely infectious when you are having an active outbreak. The, the real difficulty, though, is that, ex- that many people, if not most, don't really have a clear indication of when they're infectious. Right. Even uh, there has been some, unfortunately, there's some contradictory research. It's a little unclear, but there's been a good deal of research showing that you are most infectious immediately before an outbreak. Hmm. So 
again, if that is true, then how would you know? Right. So that's why I think most people, uh, most medical professionals say that you have to assume that there's at least a theoretical risk of infection always. Hmm. Now, that being said, that's sort of like my scientist hat. I'd say in real in the real world, there are many people who've had herpes for long periods of time, and they begin to know what their pattern is. Some people have one outbreak and never have another one. Other people will have sort of like a yearly outbreak or they'll have it when they're stressed or they have the flu or whatever. People begin to know sort of their pattern. And as long as you're being honest with your partner and yourself and you've discussed the relative risks and you're both okay with it, then a lot of people with, who have herpes will start having sex even unprotected during times that they and their partner feel the risks are lower. But there's never no risk is what it comes down to. Wow. Thank you for clarifying that. And um, is herpes curable or is it something that you just always have to deal with? There is presently no cure for herpes. Um, what we do have are antivirals, basically medications that suppress the activity of the herpes viruses. Um, and there's multiple herpes viruses, but um, there is no way to cure it right now. And there's also no vaccine currently. So herpes right now is for life. That doesn't, that's not as horrific as it may sound. I think with the current treatments that are available for, you know, to suppress the viral activity so you have less outbreaks with treatments that when you do have an outbreak, lessen the symptoms. It's really not as horrific as, as many people fear. I think the reason it's gotten such this horrific um, reputation is because oftentimes, not for everyone, but oftentimes the first outbreak is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But it's very rare that subsequent outbreaks are just as bad. The general pattern is about two weeks after you get infected, you have an outbreak. That, can, that will usually be the worst outbreak you will ever have. Mm-hmm. And then as years go by, they tend to get less and less severe and more and more time between outbreaks. But again, a lot of people never have anything after the first outbreak. And here's the the good and bad news is that for a lot of people, they don't even notice their first outbreak. Really? So, which is why um, so many people who are act, have herpes don't know it. And that's why I think we see some of the really uh, high levels of transmission. I mean, about one in four people in the United States has herpes. Wow, um, one in four. Yeah. And in the, va- the vast majority, uh, some recent study about a year ago actually estimated that 90% of men who have herpes don't know it. Wow. Because they might have had one outbreak. They thought it was the flu and they had a cold sore. It went away. They never had another outbreak. Oh, my but, goodness. But they're, still in, but they're still potentially infectious, which is why this is continuing to spread. Got it. And, and how is... Um Herpes different from HPV, human papilloma virus. Yeah, human papilloma virus. Um, well, they're both viruses. Um, they can both be transmitted sexually and non-sexually, but other than that, they're not that similar. Um, HPV is the single. Mo- it's HPV is also known as genital warts. Mm. However, m- m- most people who have HPV never get an actual wart, or at least not a wart they can see. Um, HPV is by far the most common sexually transmitted illness in the United States. 
about half of all uh, adults have HPV. Um, it is also, you know, same kinds of rules around transmission as herpes. The what I would say is that for most people, it's even less symptomatic. It for mo- there's only there's there's many 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 different strains of HPV. Only some actually cause warts, and only some have side effects. The real concern is that certain strains of HPV have been strongly associated with cancer, in particular cervical cancer, which is why women are encouraged to get tested every year as part of their normal uh, pap smear, just because that that is the big concern. And that's why also there's been so much... uh, press around getting uh, young girls vaccinated early. And when you say vaccinated... There's, there's a new vaccine that was released a couple of years ago that prevents HPV infection. Um, and so at least certain types. Again, there's so many different strains, but it's targeted at the strains that are most associated with cervical cancer. So that's why they're really suggesting that all girls just routinely get vaccinated before they become sexually active. What do you think about that? What do I think about that? Is that, is a, you- is that a great, is that, is that something that's really going to help women um, avoid contracting a virus like that? Because when I was growing up, there there was nothing like that. Right. And so, I mean, even now, I'm I'm like, oh, there's a vaccination. <laughs> like I don't even know that. <laughs> and, I'm and, like, too, and, I'm and honestly, not a girl. you're too old. They're they're not they're not recommending it for anyone over 26. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and ideally, you're supposed to have it before you ever have intercourse. So I think you missed it on two counts. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> I assume. That's why I'm like, oh crap. What what don't I know about this? So it's for women under the age of 26 who maybe haven't had sex yet in order to prevent, um, which could be listeners of my show or at least the moms of listeners, you know, um, to prevent this virus. And so do you think it actually works? Well, it absolutely works. Um, I think there's a lot of controversy around it um, in different circles. Um, in particular, I think a lot of the controversy is coming from people who, you know, feel like, well, you know, the salute, you don't need a vaccine. Just tell your daughter to never have sex until she's married to a, to a man who never had sex and will never have sex with anyone except you. And then you'll die when you when you're, you know, in your 90s. And your um, business will go through the roof. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. I just don't know that that's realistic. And I feel like this is a public health issue. And basically, this is this is a serious condition that can that leads to cancer. A very you know can lead to very serious uh, medical issues. That you, I think we we should leave the politics and, and personal uh, morality out of it and just make it a routine vaccination if it, it's just so interesting because these the people who are so opposed to this vaccine it's because it's around sex right. that these people are not saying no no well kids should just be able to get mumps you know right. i think it's because this this virus is associated with sex that the feeling is it's almost like if you get it it's your own fault and I think that's a very destructive view. Now, there are other legitimate, I'm, I'm, you know, we don't have much time. There are other legitimate concerns around this virus. But 
it it is pretty clear that at least in some in, mo- in many situations it is quite effective and the recommendation is it just become routine that it's not that you have a discussion with your daughter about well are you going to have sex it's like you know what just put it into the normal vaccination routine Right. And yeah, it does bring up all kinds of things about can we talk about sexuality, especially with women who are probably already having sex. And so, I mean, again, I don't know when this vaccination came out, but it sounds like kind of a modern thing that you can now get a vaccination for a sexually transmitted disease where, you know, that necessarily wasn't around 10 years ago. Yeah, it's only been out for about two years. See, that's that I think is pretty extraordinary. I'm going to have to look into this more. (laughs) Thanks for enlightening me. (laughs) Sure. You you haven't seen there's been a fair amount of television ads for it. You haven't seen any of the ads. I don't watch TV. (laughs) Okay. Got it. Somebody was like, how can you not watch TV? But I just, yeah, I don't. So I'm surprised it hasn't come up on the, uh, you know, little commercials on the videos on YouTube and stuff. All right, so let's take another quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the um, more psychological and emotional um, parts of herpes and this woman's experience. I'm Elisa Kreitman, your host of Just for Women, Dating, Relationships, and Sex. I'm talking with Dr. Shandor Gardos, an extraordinary Hungarian sex therapist who's sharing his wisdom with us, and we'll be right back. Listeners, feel free to send me an email message at Elisa, A-L-I-S-S-A, at personallifemedia.com. You can also call me at 206 350 5333. Leave me a message. Let me know your feedback, who you'd like me to have on the show, and any ideas and questions you have. Thank you so much. Lisa Kreitman. We're being highly illuminated to HPV, herpes, vaccinations, Viagra, and other great stuff with Dr. Shandor Gardos. Other great stuff besides HPV and herpes? Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. All right. So I want to wrap up here with... um, It's so funny because I was just looking at the list of things that I thought we would cover, but you're just so extraordinary and insightful that um, I love the depth and breadth that we get to go in any one given topic. So when I have you back, we're just going to maybe cover one thing. Okay. (laughs) I think I did warn you about that. (laughs) Yeah, it's so great. I mean, there's two other major topics and I'm like, we're just going to maybe have you once a month or something. (laughs) Okay, so let's let's look at this... um, the second part of what she wrote and this is where my heart really breaks for her because it really speaks to the confusion that you were talking about about you know when someone is contagious and kind of like the bad news of that is is um, until you like have it for a while and you really know you're kind of always that way um but let's let's dig into this and see so this woman was dating a man um 
and it sounded like he's compassionate empathetic when she was telling him how she got herpes and um, she was very vulnerable when she shared it and they had a lovely relationship for a while but he would never go down on her it took a long time before he would touch her vagina with his hands he would stop what they were doing get up wash his hands and when he did touch her after oh he would get up and wash his hands if he was fingering her and so it it was like there were kind of these big breaks after sex with the condom he'd wash himself and she started to feel like she was poisoned or a pariah mm -hmm. and she was starting to feel really bad and affected by this and what what do you have to say in support of a woman who has herpes and, and experiences this kind of um, behavior with a partner right right well I, I really feel for her I, I think that is the to me I, I don't think it's the symptoms of herpes the physical symptoms that are the most problematic I think it's the psychological in the relationship that I think this isn't what she's experiencing is not uncommon especially when you first find out in the first couple of years or oftentimes your first relationship post finding out that it's very common to feel like there's like you're diseased, like, you know, that your partner worrying about, you know, how does your partner see you and worrying about infecting your partner and worrying about just, you know, are you ever going to be able to have sex without worrying about this again? I think it can have a really, unfortunately, a very negative impact on your sex life and your relationship. The, the good news is I don't think it has to. Um, I think that especially over time and I think it really has a lot to do with finding a partner that you guys can sit down and really make it a little project where you guys educate each other and about what what's really going on here and what are the real risks and what do we feel comfortable doing I mean the reality too is that there's a lot of individual variation in terms of you know it sounds like this guy was very concerned um, and that's not good or bad. I'm not putting a value judgment on it. But different people have different levels of risk tolerance mm. and have a different idea of what would it mean if it if you know if you did get infected. I think there's a lot of guys out there who are like, you know, I don't want to, but if it does, it's not the end of the world. Um, and there are also going to be guys who are re already infected. Remember, it's one in four people have herpes, so it's not like you know you're not going to find anyone who already has it. Now that does now there are a whole there's a whole host of other issues about reinfection that you know, if you have it doesn't mean you can do whatever you want, but um I think this is a situation where I I've worked with a lot of couples and I think there are really this if if you're finding you're in this this place with your with your partner or even by yourself where you're finding this is really getting in the way of you finding a relationship or maintaining a relationship, it can be really helpful to talk to a professional. Um, and I, I would seek out a, a good qualified sex therapist or marriage and family therapist who's comfortable talking about sex and sexual issues. Yeah, it really sounds like this woman wants to have a variety of sexual experiences mm -hmm. and um, was affected by that one in particular. And yeah, and I think that's really a, the shame there that, it, you know, sometimes you have this one negative experience and if it's usually, especially if it's the first one after, it's, you know, it's very difficult to share the first time and if it doesn't go quite the way you're hoping, then you can start catastrophizing. You think, oh my God, this is, my, this is the rest of my life now. Right. And I really just want to reassure her that's that's not the case. And I think the other thing I would recommend is there's some excellent, if you do some research online, there's some excellent herpes support groups 
where she could meet with other women who will share their, you know, and they can share experiences about what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them, and really get some good emotional support. Awesome. That's good to know. Support groups. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, she, I'm sure she's not the only woman who's dealt with this. And so that's good to know as well. Do you, you know, know, do you know what city she lives in? No. Okay. Because there are some, like the city we're in, San Francisco, um, the rates are more like half of all people have herpes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not going to be hard to find a support. I'm going to wear saran wrap around my whole body. No, <laughs> no I, I, I definitely have friends who have herpes. And uh, yeah, it's not a, a, a death sentence by any means. But also, yeah, there there is, um, it's almost, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's a up, it's a, what do you call that? A level up or a step up in your... Uh, need to be able to communicate around sexuality mm. and you know the people I hang around with and I'm sure you do too don't have a problem with communication <laughs> but yeah I mean it can be devastating especially like you said if a, if someone contracts herpes unknowingly because the person that they were with unknowingly gave it to them so maybe when we're getting our pap smears we have tests and make that a yearly thing too because otherwise how would we know so let me, that sounds like a great idea uh, let me uh but let me uh put a caution in there mm. um at least when it comes to herpes um there's a number of different ways of testing for herpes the the common one is if you're having an outbreak basically you get the sore cultured to see well, well what is this outbreak oh yeah it's herpes the the other thing that some people do and i don't actually recommend it is just to get a blood test to look for herpes antibodies. The problem is, if you come up positive, it's very hard to know, well, what does that actually mean? Like, what does that mean for you? It means you were exposed. Does that mean you have it? No. So, does it mean you'll ever have an outbreak? Not necessarily. Does it mean you're infectious? Not necessarily. So, I, I get concerned a little bit about people who just want to routinely get a blood work to see if they have herpes because it doesn't tell you if you have herpes. What it tells you is, have you ever been exposed? And the reality is that if you're sexually active, is high likelihood you've been exposed. It doesn't mean that you're because what and it creates a bit of an ethical problem. Let's say you get this test and it comes back that you, you know, comes back positive. Do you now need to tell all your partners? And what are you telling them? Because you don't know that you have herpes. You just know you've been exposed. So it's it, in some ways it can create you need to really know what you're being tested for and really think through what are you going to do with that information before you go through with that. Wow, that's incredible. I just asked that off the cuff and look, there it is. Like you don't even know what you're actually being tested for because the only way you can know for sure is to actually test the outbreak, the sore itself. Yeah, exactly. Good to know. <laughs> Full of helpful hints today. <laughs> oh my god. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Okay. God, it's such a pleasure to talk to you and thank you so much for um all the years of study that you've accumulated and your desire to help people know um, and get the best information available today because clearly it's always changing you know yeah. it's like two years ago now there's an HPV vaccine that didn't even exist so I really would love to have you um, back on the show more and more and more I know I'm gonna get a lot of feedback from this um, women always love to hear 
the real deal about what's going on. So thank you for being so specific in your, your knowledge and sharing that with us today. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. So tell us, how can we find you? Um, people can find me at mypleasure.com. That's uh, a website I started eight years ago. It's uh, one of the internet's leading online sex education and retailers for sexual enhancement products. Now, ladies, that means he sells vibrators. So when you go there and it's... <laughs> I hear I was being all coy. Okay. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of vibrators on there. And so nonetheless, <laughs> there's a lot of great information as well. And we'll have you back and talk about sexual toys, fetishes, things like that. Um, I would love to talk to you more about that kind of stuff. So Sounds like fun. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Shandor Gardos. <laughs> I'm your host, Elisa Kreitman. You've been listening to Just for Women, Dating, Relationships, and Sex. For text and transcripts of this show and other shows on the Personal Life Media Network, please visit our website at personallifemedia.com. If you're suffering from anxiety, don't miss your chance to discover instant and long-term relief with my new product, Masterful Techniques for Fear and Anxiety Relief. Just go to MastermindTechniques.com and enter promo code WOMEN for $100 off the original price. That's MastermindTechniques.com promo code WOMEN. Free yourself today from the crippling grip that anxiety may have on you. Thank you again for tuning in. I'm your host, Elisa Kreitman, always expanding your choices here on Just for Women, Dating, Relationships, and Sex. Tune in next week for more juicy news you can use. great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.